This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Holtcast in association with Acorns Children's Hospice. Cole Petum here. As always, and of course, I am joined by Tom Nightingale as well. We're going to run through all things Aston Villa with Villa winning 2-1 at Villa Park on Sunday against Leicester City. Of course, you're hearing this on the Monday, so I feel like I need to specify that every time for my, o- my own OCD-ness, I should really say. But anyways, let's go to Tom first because no matter a, a topsy-turvy win, one that had a lot of goal-scoring opportunities for both, I think it's also important to enjoy these while we can. But anyways, Tom, how's it going for you? Yeah, I mean, I think that's it right there. Like you got to if you're not if you can't enjoy yourself after that kind of win, then there's something wrong, really, because I mean, I thought, you know, coming off the City game, uh, I thought we got a lot better second half at Man City. And so I was a little bit disappointed with how we started uh, today, I have to say. thought first half we were really quite sloppy and the. the improved structure that we've seen in the last few games seemed to be sort of lacking. Um, but then again, like the second half response, absolutely magnificent. Um, and I thought we were really good value for it in the end, really good value. Obviously, there's the, the sort of marginal moments like that. Emmy Martinez's fantastic save. Um, obviously, you know, if you don't have a if you don't have a Yashin trophy nominated goalkeeper in goal, then that probably goes in the top corner. Um but, you know, we had chances, didn't we? Realistically, we could have scored four or five um, if that final pass was a little bit better or some of the decision making. And those are the things that come with time. Uh, overall, though, there's plenty to be pleased about, isn't there? Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, it could have been 5-1 to Villa, to be honest. And I'm not saying that Leicester didn't have their opportunities as well. They could have scored a few more as well. This game literally could have been like 5-3 at the <laughs> end of it with the amount of chances, the amount of uh sloppy play from both sides and I think that kind of maybe flatters Villa more than it does Leicester in that instance and to be honest without a little bit of luck because every good team has that they can tell me anything differently and it's not the case in my opinion without a little bit of luck this easily could have been a draw or worse depending on how you saw how Villa defended at times and we'll kind of get on to um, Ashley Young and Maddie uh, not Maddie Target Maddie Cash um, in a little bit because I think those two played a, a big part in some of those sloppy plays at time with the amount of uh, chances Lester kind of had overloading the wings in particular. But Tom, the one thing I want to get on first is probably one of the m- most debatable ones. And I-, I know it's skipping ahead, but I just want to get it out of the way. And I didn't really want to say this first, but you know what? Maybe it is just good to get it out there. Let's get out of the way. That <laughs> Aaron Ramsey disallowed goal right before halftime where do you sit with it because for listeners who may have missed the game or or somehow listening to this before they've seen anything back uh, just to kind of replay it quickly uh, Schmeichel quickly loses possession of an initial save I guess you could say from across uh, fumbles it has one 
fingertip or a few fingertips, not even a full hand over it. It's still bobbling. I think if Ramsey didn't even touch it, it would probably bobble a little bit more. But anyways, Ramsey smashed it. Apparently it hurt Schmeichel's hand. Boo-hoo. Um, which he complained about in the post-match after, which I really got a kick out uh, kick of. But uh, anyways, that, that was that. It got disallowed because apparently he was in possession of the ball. And all I can say before I go to Tom here, because I know I'm ranting, is if that is possession then I have a bridge to sell you. I have a flying pig to sell you. And I am also a prince of Abu Dhabi or something like that. But anyways, Tom, where do you sit with it? I know that in these situations, like sometimes you get these weird things where like you have to follow the letter of the law and and the law sort of goes against what you would say uh, is your common sense opinion of it. Like I, in this instance, there's no way as far as I see it. And I don't think this is with Claret tinted glasses on but obviously probably to extent it is but I, I just don't see how you can look at that really and say that Schmeichel has like got control of the ball in that situation like he's got okay he's got his finger you know he's got his fingertips on it or whatever but just because you're touching the ball doesn't mean that you're in control of it and then I was following it in real time right I saw people everyone obviously everyone complaining about it and then the debate starts it's one of these situations where you realize actually a lot of people don't know the wording of the rule. So then everyone go, you know, goes to check the rule and it's like, you know, was this wrong or was this right? And it seems that, you know, I've got the rule up here from uh, IFAB, you know, the goalkeepers considered to be in control of the ball with his hands when the ball is between the hands or between the hand and any surface, e.g. the ground. So that makes it sound like he's in control of the ball. So suddenly you're thinking, oh, maybe he was in control of it. But then it says, except if the ball rebounds from the goalkeeper or the goalkeeper has made a save. So, by the letter of the law, like not only is it common sense, it seems like it's wrong because how is he in control of the ball? But then actually you read into the letter of the law and yeah, it's still wrong. So uh, I think that's, I, I'm just glad it didn't end up costing us because, you know, we've had so many of those. Was it last season? I can't remember because of the break in the seasons, but there was that season when they were Watkins was getting goals ruled out left, right and centre for marginal offsides, the kind of decisions they've changed now. And I'm sure fans of every club feel like this, but I do feel like as a Villa, we've had a fair few of those decisions go against us. Like think of the Man City one, the offside, that ridiculous decision last season. And then they come out, what Premier League or IFAB come out after the game and they're sort of doing all this verbal gymnastics to sort of bend the rule to make it sound like the decision was right. It's one of those again, but thankfully, I know we're talking about it right now, but thankfully we can just talk about it. It was stupid and we can move on because at the end of the day, they got the job done and they won the game. But I just, I, I can't see how you can look at that and you can say that Schmeichel's got control of the ball and that should be disallowed. I think JJ Ramsey was absolutely robbed. Yeah, and, and this isn't us coming off as bitter, obviously, because Villa won. And the and one bit. thing that we should probably stress is, and I feel like every Villa fan was probably thinking this, or most of them was, we're going to probably lose now. I felt like that at halftime because, you know, the luck of of Villa fans and Villa in particular with uh, when they watch their team and just when these things go against us, it, uh, it just doesn't go well. And I just wanted to get that out of the way, but every time Villa gets screwed over, I always think of Henry Lansbury against crystal palace and how the one (laughs) and how the disown feed just cut off right after that, basically like, Nope, game's over. We're not going to reflect on it or anything like that. I don't know why I'm bringing that up, but that just always sits in the back of my mind as a uh, a WTF moment, to be honest. But uh, I guess from that to conceding early to then bouncing back, and I, I think the theme of bouncing back this game was definitely uh, relevant for Aston Villa. Of course, Harvey Barnes scores in the first 20 minutes. 
We respond a few minutes later uh, through Esri Konza, who had both goals today, was on for a hat trick, a center back. How rare is that to see? And to be honest, I did like seeing him up the pitch. I think it was in like the 60-something minute uh, maybe 65th and he was literally dribbling the ball like a winger at one point all the way up there but uh, you know he had confidence at that point but Tom what was the mindset for you in terms of the resiliency today because we've seen last season the season before and for as long as I can remember at least we've gone one goal down something's not gone our way and we've kind of collapsed and we've already talked about one thing that didn't go away at one all to make us two one and then you see another one, obviously, previously, we're one nil down. And we have a quick response. What does that all mean, not only to you, but what do you think it means to the players as well on the pitch? It's like you said, right? I, like we've, I feel like as Villa fans, we've got used to, um, we've been pretty brittle for a while, I think, as a team. And I'm taught for a while, obviously not necessarily week to week every game, but it's been a pattern, I think, for years, years and years that we're brittle. And you put us, you know, when the chips are down, we struggle a little bit. Um, under Gerard, I mean, we're only four games in, but it's one of the things that is pleasing me the most. You know, I was really not sold on Gerard when we were talking about it and when it sounded like the appointment was going to be made. And I would still say, like, we are only four games in, so it, it's hard to know what's just new manager bounce and what is, you know, an actual sort of uh, revolution sort of going on, you know. Um, but it's been one of the key characteristics so far, hasn't it? It's like that resiliency and you know, God knows what he says to them at halftime. I get the feeling he gives them a bit of a rip at halftime because the response is just excellent. And the thing that really pleases me, like obviously we've got the two goals. It's great. We had chances to kill the game off, like developing a bit more of a killer touch. I don't think would go amiss really uh, going, you know, if we do have aspirations to push up into the top half and, you know, sniffing around seventh and eighth spot this season then we're going to need that killer instinct but like the really pleasing thing to me is that we're so much more resilient and also I think like our game management is a lot better how often have we seen in recent years where we're playing and we're you know we're one goal down or whatever going into five minutes and we're pushing and then you know players from you know the opposition are hitting the floor or time taking ages over a throw in or you know goalkeeper taking ages over a goal kick uh and, you know, they're shutting us down in defence and coming away with the ball and then just passing it around us, making it hard to break it up and get the ball back and go at goal. Like, we're doing all of those things now uh, in the last sort of five, ten minutes of a game and we have the lead. And that's exactly the kind of thing you need to do to become a side that wins habitually. And I think it's been missing for a long time. And I think that 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 says a lot for Gerard, who the, the person that Gerard is and the coach that he's become. And also just his men- his mentality and the mentality of his staff, I think, is it's, you know, win at all costs has a bit of a bad rep, I think, because it conjures up images of dark arts, as they call it, you know. But it you, you need you need that element. You need that sort of, it's almost like a ruthless streak, isn't it? Just not, you know, not being soft, not making silly mistakes at the end. Um, and one thing that was really pleasing for me is that, you know, well, I liked the moment, you know, when Carney was on, and he robbed Madison, took that free kick, right? And we were like, oh, it's going to be, going to be under pressure here. We're going to swing it into the box later on. Free kick was absolutely terrible. Carney robs the ball off him, goes past him. And then you get Madison sort of kicking out in frustration and giving us a cheap free kick. And we we can burn some minutes like that. That's the kind of mistake, like the fact, the cheap foul and giving the ball away and giving away momentum. Like Villa used to do that. Even very recently, right, when we were pushing for a goal, that's the kind of mistake you'd see Villa making and you'd be screaming at your telly. Whereas now we're the team who 
are starting to draw those mistakes from opponents. And I think it's all those little marginal things, right, that I think go a long way to building a winning mentality and everything, really. Obviously, we're not playing playing superbly well throughout every game, you know, the whole whole 90 minutes. But on the whole, the improvement is, is pretty striking, isn't it, really? Well, yeah, the one thing that I feel like we've all heard Steven Gerrard say um, since he's came in as Villa boss was the, the word suffer and suffering, really. And how you have to kind of go through moments of the game where you're suffering. You don't get much of the ball. It's nitty gritty moments, but you have to make the most of it. And whether that's holding your own in your own zone for I don't know, five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever, a few counterattacking opportunities, taking your chances in front of goal, whatever it is, it's working as a unit. And I'm not saying we didn't do that under Dean Smith, but it just seems like there's kind of two sides to it now. It's Stevie G is going to give you all the confidence in the world, all the opportunities to do the best you can do. But if you're shit, he's going to be honest with you and tell you some home truths you're probably not going to like. But at the end of the day, you're professional. You need to do better, whatever. I'm not saying Dean Smith never did that. I'm sure he did, but I almost wonder if it didn't come off almost as I wouldn't say lethal, but maybe in the most um, meaningful way for some players, every player reacts differently to stuff. And I'm not saying every player in this side is going to be a 10 out of 10 for the rest of the season and react to the way that Gerard does it, because obviously some will, some won't. It's probably the reason why we won't see some players and maybe they move on in January or at the end of the summer or whatever. But for the most part, you can see players like Nakamba, who is a completely different player um, under Steven Gerrard thus far. You can tell there's some real one-on-one coaching that has gone on with him and keeping it simple with him and the instructions and everything like that. Moving um, Douglas Louise a little bit further up in the midfield, giving him that freedom to move forward has benefited even Nakamba a little bit. McGinn's McGinn, I guess you can't really change him too much. You look at Watkins with the pressing last season, he's doubled probably in terms of his performances in terms of pressing. Uh, Wingers are interchangeable right now just because of really injuries and the, the thickness and how fast games are really coming right now. But Everybody, and even Maddie Target, I guess, right now, who's, of course, injured, everyone's benefiting right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's not only because of rotation, but I think it's, and to be honest, I don't even think it's a fresh mindset, Tom. I think it's one of those things where you sit there at the end of the day, and I've said this before, and I'll always say it, any sport is a psychological kind of warfare. If someone believes in your philosophy enjoys who you are believes in you they will run through a brick wall for you and i think that's what we're seeing right now and maybe it doesn't even come down to steven gerrard itself maybe it comes down to some of his assistant coaches that have come in maybe it comes down to uh, the likes of neil cutler and austin mcphee still being there of course and some familiarity Um, maybe it's the kitchen staff that makes them feel so you know what i mean it's all these little components that all come together. It could be the guy opening the door for one of the players in the morning to say, good morning. You know what I mean? It's everyone works at a team, no matter how big or how small the job. And I think that's the thing that's really working with this team right now. And uh, who knows, maybe we finish sixth, maybe we finish 13th. Like we don't know. Of course, there's so much time still to uh, see what happens, but we're in a really good place right now. I think what you're saying about uh, you touched upon, you know, some players maybe I think aren't going to buy into it. And I think Gerard said something like that. I can't remember the exact wording, but he, you know, in some presser or an interview, he said something about 
hinted at certain players who maybe aren't buying in to his philosophy and his coaching staff philosophy. And the thing is like, where are we now? Early December, like January, I'd expect to see some sort of movement problem, maybe both in and out. And then obviously by the time we get to next summer, we're really going to see in terms of bringing personnel in what Gerard, Gerard's plan is and his coaching staff and what their plan is. And I think the, the key thing really is that, you know, we had all that talk in the last few weeks about the managerial change. Like, was it right? Was it wrong? What's going on? You know, the fact of the matter is even, okay, it's great that we're getting the results early on, but even sort of aside from the results almost like it's the, we have, a, I feel like we have a much clearer identity now than we had in the first, you know, in the first portion of this season under Smith, when we were sort of at best treading water and kind of losing the momentum we'd built up in the back end of last season. Now we're at a point where you can see already, I think, what, or at least the fundamentals of what Gerard and his staff are trying to do. And so now you're at the point, like, if there are certain players in the squad, like, I don't, we'd be speculating to name names, I think, at this point about who it might be who's not buying into his philosophy. But if you're looking at some of the players on the periphery who aren't really getting into the team, like if you've got players like that who have ability and, you know, in past seasons have contributed for us, but Gerard and his staff are pretty confident that they're not going to buy into the philosophy and they're not the right kind of player. Like we're at a point now, I think, where we have to just go all in in that regard. And like if players aren't right, then players aren't right. Right. But certainly the the what 15, 16 players that we're relying on at the moment and rotating, I think there are signs from all of them. You know, the starting 11 today, plus the people who are coming off the bench, you know, Sanson coming back into the fold, he's looked very neat and tidy. And I think it's given him a new lease on life to have a sort of clean slate under Gerard. And it's, you just got, you've got to commit to that. And I think all the signs are really good so far. Um, obviously it's difficult. Like I'm sure we will jump in ahead slightly, but you know, with Liverpool next week and stuff, it's difficult. And obviously you've got to sort of expect an adverse result there. But I think the key is that, you know, we had an adverse result against City before this game, but even in that, you know, we had so much more shape, so much more desire. We got ourselves back into the game and you could still see the way that we were trying to play. Um, it is just, it's just positive sign after positive sign at the moment. And obviously you want to be cautious, but it's hard not to feel pretty good as a Villa fan right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's one of those things you kind of have to sit back and wait to see how everything unfolds. And I know you, Tom, for sure were saying, and I know Simon has said it in the past, and it's funny how it's kind of come true. So big up to you guys, how probably around this point of the season, we'd expect a little bit of an upturn. So well done to you guys, uh, Nostradamus is in your, in your own right. So there's that. But the one thing that I kind of want to bundle in together would probably be right now would be our fullbacks and the wingers today. Of course, um, you had Maddie Target out, of course, Ashley Young come in, which I would assume through injury. Um, Maddie Cash, of course, on the right, ever so much always there. I mean, we don't really have any other option to be at this point, to be honest. And hopefully that's something we do address in the uh, near future, because I can see him getting injured and a lot of things going very, very wrong. Um, anyways, positive of course, thoughts, Cole, positive thoughts, pos- positive thoughts. But as a Villa fan, I feel like I always need to say that or a sports fan in general. Of course, Emmy Bundy on the wing. And I think Jacob Ramsey was on the wing a little bit as well. To be fair, he was literally all over the place and. He had one of the best games that I've really seen, but it was excellent money. in particular, those four, what did you make of it? Because for me, from the fullback standpoint, again, like Jared always says, they really suffered. I thought cash probably had one of his poorest games in a Villa shirt, to be honest. Um, Young struggled, but had a very good second half, in my opinion. 
Buendia, I do see a lot of people kind of give him abuse, but at the same time, he's one of those players that he takes on risks. So you kind of have to weigh that up with the rewards. He's very much similar to Triore in that sense, where people would kind of give Triore crap for losing the ball. Then he passes it into the net, basically, and everyone goes crazy. Um, and like I said, Jacob Ramsey is just fantastic. But what did you make of those four in particular? Yeah, I mean, I I I inclined to agree to an extent on cash. Like I didn't, I thought I certainly thought he was pretty poor going forward. I thought some of his decision making wasn't the best. His crossing today was just off the mark, wasn't it? He was overhitting everything. Um defensively, I thought he was pretty sound. I thought he did a pretty decent job. He had a hard, he had a hard job up against Harvey Barnes for most of the game. Harvey Barnes is a very good player. Um I thought he did pretty well. I have to say, in, in before the game, I was a bit concerned about Young at left back. Like I love Ashley Young, obviously, but he's been re- pretty hit and miss when he's played in the more, you know, uh, more defensively on the left hand side so far this season. And I thought that's an area that Leicester might exploit, but I didn't really get the feeling from Leicester that they were trying to exploit that. And also, I thought Young, I thought Young did a pretty decent job. Um, Buendia is a, it's a tough one, isn't it? Like he's clearly got the ability. He can clearly unlock defenses and he does have, he, he you know, we were, I think we were talking on a previous pod a week or two ago about that explosive quality that like Bailey has. And I feel like Traore definitely has where it is, you know, it's, it's a decent comparison, Buendia and Traore, because they have that, they're very hit and miss so far, at least with Buendia case but they definitely have that you know more of an explosive quality than a lot of our midfielders and attackers the thing is like Buendia I really I think he's growing into his I think he's growing into his role and not I don't just mean his role on the pitch either I mean his role as a 30 what was he 30 million pound signing like it's a lot to it's a lot to carry and obviously in a it's relatively comparable, I think. Okay, Norwich had Cantwell as well. But when Buendia was at Norwich, like the main man, right? Him and Cantwell are certainly the main men. Whereas here, obviously we want him to be one of the main men, but you know, we've got we've got Watkins, we've got Bailey that a lot of hopes have been pinned on. We've got like John, John McGinn offensively the last few weeks. Second half today, John McGinn, playmaker extraordinaire. Uh it's it, it, I thought he was excellent, really excellent again. Um and so again, we keep coming back to it, but it's that how do you fit all these pieces together, right? I thought our I thought our central midfield in the first half today was the poorest it's been in weeks. Because I think our midfield's been excellent in recent weeks. Today, I thought we were really struggling to get a stranglehold on the game for a while. Um, and then second half, you know, Gerard's clearly got into them at halftime and we wrestled back that control. And I didn't really, you know, as much as you have the nervous flutters when Leicester are coming forward or chucking balls in the box and we're sitting very deep, I didn't really feel that Martinez wonder save aside like we were ever in danger of not winning that game once we were once we were two one up. Um, and so it's just about working out how to fit all these pieces together. But the thing is, is that you know, with such a such a hard run, we're not such a thick and fast run of games coming up. Um, we're going to see players playing in different positions, I think, because, um, okay, we've got a few injuries already, but then like fitness and fitness and, and, you know, takes its toll. Um, but I think just, we have to, we clearly have the pieces in the squad. Right. And it's a bit of a jigsaw puzzle at the moment, working out how to fit them all together. For example, we've been talking about it before, like whenever Danny Ings comes back into the fold, I don't know what we do with him, honestly, but it's a problem for another day. Right. Yeah, hundred percent. I was just looking at the uh, the schedule 
um, for Villa. And I, I, I do love how we play Chelsea before we've actually played Leeds for one time this season. I love how that works out. Um, you forget yeah, we haven't played them yet. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we'll have both games against Chelsea done before it leads. But anyways, that has nothing to do with <laughs> what we're talking about. I just looked at that and thought that was a little odd. But just to kind of touch on the Christmas um, um, schedule, really, of course, next Saturday, December 11th, Liverpool um, away. Of course, we have Norwich away on the Tuesday, December 14th, Burnley at home, December 18th, uh, December 26th, Boxing Day against Chelsea. Couple days later on the 28th against Leeds, um, and then four days later against Brentford away at their uh, new stadium this season. So, or well, I guess a couple seasons ago, but anyways, we know it's new. Um, but yeah, like a lot of games, a lot of rotations expected, and it's going to be interesting for me at least to see how quickly Villa react in the transfer market because I almost wonder if there's one or two players they're basically ready to pull the trigger on as soon as it's January 1, basically. And that'll tell a lot because I think, to be honest, with the run that we do have in January, and I don't want to forecast it too much, but of course it's Brentford, United, uh, Everton as well. So some tricky games in there. You never know what you're going to get out of Everton right now. United's always a tough game for us, especially at home. Um, Historically, and Brentford are kind of up and down team at the moment. So they like to keep every game tight. So it'll be interesting in regards to that, but to pull everything back Tom here for a second. Cause I feel like I'm forgetting something and that would probably be the structure from the first half to the second half. And the one thing that I find really funny under Steven Gerrard so far, and I think it's just the perception difference because it's three wins out of our last four, everyone's happy days, 75% win ratio, um, happy, 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 go lucky for some people. You always get the odd person that's bitter, but I feel like, we were a second half team or a one and a half team under Dean Smith, but we could have the same way, same win ratio and people still wouldn't be as happy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I, do you think that's just kind of the newness factor and kind of the quick success that's kind of poured into that? And I know it's nothing to really do directly with this Lester win um, or win against Lester, I should say, but don't you kind of find that a little interesting and odd? Yeah, I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? Like, I uh, I think I saw Gerard, you know, after the game today, Gerard was saying um, he really praised off his, you know, he's, he, he owned it. He came out and he was like, first half, we weren't really good enough. Second half, the response was exceptional, which, I mean, it's, that very much was the case, I thought. And he said something, there's a little line, I can't remember exactly how he phrased it, but it's like, um, you know, it's, 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 a puzzle piece that's missing, I think, is uh, just being able to do that for 90 minutes. Like when was the, but then when was the last time that as a club and as a team, we were going out and we were dominating games? No team does though, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, unless you're a city or a Liverpool and even there, even we've seen that both of those teams are fallible as well. But I think the thing, I think a key thing that we're learning under Gerard is that, like you say, it's very hard to dominate a game from the first minute to the 90th minute, but it's not even necessarily about dominating a game for all of the 90 minutes. It's about what you do and how you cope with the spells in a game when you are not dominating, because you're going to have those spells. Like we're going to have those spells. Like we go in what a week and a half time, you go to Norwich away. Like it's going to be a lot of that game where Norwich have the ball and they're probing and they're trying to, you know, they're trying to get, you know, they're trying to get through us. And it's about how you cope with those situations and those periods of play. And I think, while there's still improvement to be made, and we need to make sure that we get into a you know consistent run of doing these things, the signs are there that 
we've got a lot better, I think, at weathering the storm. I feel like we're relying a lot less these days on, you know, Tyrone Mings hurling himself in front of a goal-bound shot to deny a goal or, you know, those sort of, like, almost panicked, impressive defending, but very much last-ditch defending moments. I feel like we're facing fewer of those now, and it's because we're, we've got more steel in the midfield, and I think we're more organised defensively. I know we were very good uh, you know, I mean, at the start of last was it first half of last season when we were very good and we were barely conceding in most games apart from the odd game. Um, so you know the, the foundations were already there with the back four. Obviously, target out today, but we've got a pretty settled back four generally speaking. But then we saw we seemed to lose that. I, I thought like periods of last season, and then certainly the first period of you know the first few months of this season, we, that defensive solidity seemed to have absolutely abandoned us. But I think it's very much back. And I think the a really impressive thing now is that it's starting in midfield. And I feel like I'm segueing in towards my man of the match selection by saying this, but it's that that sort of stuff starts in midfield and having more steel. Um, and it's just, that's very obvious to see. Like we started poorly today, but I feel like we've already got to a point where a poor start for us is now maybe we end up in an unfortunate situation where we have to claw ourselves back into a game, but I don't really ever feel like we're getting completely overrun anymore. Even against City, first half was a bit difficult, but I didn't really feel like we were, you know, I didn't feel that golfing class that you normally feel when Villa play Man City. And I think it's just testament to the work. The, the work that's being done behind the scenes and on the training ground is clearly phenomenal so far, at least. And, you know, long may it continue, really. Yeah, long may it continue crossing all my fingers and my toes <laughs> as possible. But the one thing, and I mean, we saw this as a little bit of a theme last season, Tom, and we definitely um, this season with the added spice of actually scoring from set pieces this season a decent amount, scoring from crosses. And of course, as Reconza gets two goals today, as we've pre- previously mentioned, and I did see a little bit of pushback from people on Twitter, kind of not annoyed that obviously we won or um that he scored them but kind of giving a little bit of it to ollie Watkins. um you can think of the one where he should have passed to maddie cash on the break um there was another instance where jacob ramsey skied it from a very very nice uh mcginn through ball which i don't know if he could have took an extra touch to be honest with uh, i think it was castaño is bearing down on him pretty quickly but not taking the chances but we are when typically we weren't in the past if that makes sense and you throw all that kind of stuff in we're scoring by committee which is brilliant in my mind but where do you sit with all that in particular it's that classic thing isn't it of like you know, football fans are never happy we're all guilty of it sometimes but we were we were moaning for ages and ages as a fan base about the fact that we never scored from set pieces and you score get a centre-back scoring twice today winner from a corner and then you know, you know, you're going to have these people who are moaning that Watkins, you know, should be putting chances away or whatever. The thing with the, the Watkins one, that she mentioned that chance where, you know, watching it as a fan, it's very, you know, uh, from the stands or from your armchair, it's very easy to say there's a pass on out, out wide, you know, he's in space, he's got the better chance. But like Ollie Watkins scored, you know, he scored in his last three games at Villa Park. The, the way that I look at that, obviously you want to be taking your chances, but I don't necessarily have a... I don't have an issue with the very fact that he took the shot on himself in that position. Cause to me, that's just indicative of a striker who's in form and more importantly is as in a real rich vein of confidence. He looks like a very confident player right now, Watkins. So I know that today he didn't have that. He didn't really have that many chances. 
Um, but I don't have issues with him taking, you know, taking shots on like that in those positions. Obviously, sometimes you've got to pass. If he does it, you know, if he does that in a game, he does that three different times and he wastes them all three times. That's different. But considering that he didn't get very many chances today and he'd worked that one for himself with like a nice little, a nice little run. It just, I think he's just a striker in confidence. Um, but I agree. Like having said that overall, said it earlier, but a bit of a, a bit more of a ruthless streak in front of goal certainly wouldn't go amiss, would it really? I think that's what separates. That's one of the things that separates teams like us who are bobbing up and down in mid table with your teams, you know, who are pushing for your top, your top seven, top six. You do need that ruthless streak. Um, but like you say, it's fantastic to see us sharing the goals around. Like, excellent. Hands up who had Esri Concer on the list as the first Villa player to score twice in one league game this season. Uh, I'm put your hand up, I'll call you a liar. Um, but it's just it's just great I'm here it's great to see yeah um it's, it's great to see right and uh i think we've got getting those goals from defense is something you know we had target scoring didn't we what was that and that was two weeks ago week and a half ago whenever it was at palace um you want goals from everywhere obviously you want your striker to score but like he is scoring didn't score today but he's been finding the net regularly in recent weeks watkins um and I think the key is that you can't rely on him. Like we were too reliant, weren't we, on Grealish's creativity and on Watkins' goals. And that we seem to have gone a long way to solving that issue as well. Like, you know, McGinn already equaled his, he's already equaled his goal tally, I think, from last season and about a third of the way through this season. It's again, it's just it's positive signs. Yeah, I mean, it, it also is one of those things where um, it, it, for me, it's it's just funny how we went from, and I mean, I kind of felt like this a little bit too when uh, John Grealish left. I'm never going to call him Jack anymore just to get that name out of this podcast. But anyways, good to, good to always mention what it feels like. But anyways, um, it was so dependent on that. And I, w- I would be lying if I said I never kind of sat there and thought after we sold them that we might struggle a little bit here to create opportunities. And we saw target struggle as well. But it all goes to the quality of the side, how you set them up, and really if they can work well with each other and believe in, of course, the coach, the management, the assistants, and of course in each other and in, the, in themselves. So we're seeing the right that right now, and long may that continue. But uh, Tom, before we get to our match balls, let's go over to the Twitter three word reviews. So thank you to you all who have got involved. Of course, you can tweet us at seventy five hundred to Holt in the future and we will read them out on the podcast so i'll just go through a few now uh colin frederick says i'm just happy our very own tom nightingale says marvelous by name uh david bladden says konza for king uh george templeton christmas season momentum steven says perslow always new fine uh, funny to see how hindsight works christy nakamba <laughs> is marvelous aston villains early mess success uh, Michael Rudd, 40 fouls, dot, 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 again, all in caps. Uh, let's see here. We'll read a few more. Dave Stenson, absolutely fucking awesome. Uh, David Kearney, very creative. John, John McGinn, um, fair enough. I'll give you that one. Um, good thing I actually didn't read the one I was going to read next because it's probably not appropriate. But anyways, shout out to uh, Dave Dergernier, uh for that. And he'll know what I'm talking about if he's listening <laughs> to this. But anyways, um, and we'll finish off with, um, let's see here. Stephen Nee, Oliver, about him. But I'm, I'm sure he meant all about him, but use Oliver as it. But anyways, I probably just ruined that punniness. But as I do with most things, I probably ruin them. But Tom, let's go over to the match balls and who would you give yours to 
I mean, I thought there were a few candidates really today. Um, like even aside from his goals, like concert with I thought was very solid. Um, McGinn, I thought was excellent again, really excellent. But I'm finding it really hard to look beyond marvelous Nakamba today. Um, I think we're at a point now with Nakamba. Like when I, I used to play Sunday league football, right? And when I was 13 years old, whenever I got the most improved player trophy. And when you're 13 years old playing for a Sunday league side, what that means is you were crap and you're now competent. Whereas for Marvellous Nakamba, what I think it means is that he was inconsistent and he was occasionally showing up as a bit of a weak link in, in midfield. Now, honestly, I think, obviously you take it on a game-by-game situation when you're picking the team, but I currently cannot imagine Villa's midfield without Nakamba at the base of it. Um, I, I think he has been absolutely excellent. He's always had that ability to you know keep things simple break up the play and everything but now you know he's I think he's underrated his passing and his ability to start moves from the back with a very simple ball like he did it Watkins goal against Brighton oh it's merging into one but you know when Young carried it from central midfield and got that assist and that was Nakamba that started that move um and we're seeing more of that they don't always end in goals but they end it ends in chances quite a lot you know where he either wins the ball or he wins a tackle or he gets the ball uh, in a position that you might consider dangerous, sort of on the edge of his own box or whatever. And he's learned, I think, to keep it simple, keep it ticking over. Um, and I, I'm really getting the feeling that Gerard and co came in, saw Nakamba, they've seen him play, they've seen him in training. And they said from the outset, okay, like the defensive side of his game is very good. Let's get to work on making him into a like ball playing defensive midfielder and the kind of guy who can turn possession over and keep the play ticking over and, you know, make those little sideways 10 yard passes. Even if it's a lot of, a lot of passes to sideways, who cares, man, as long as he's keeping the ball and he's keeping things going. And I think he's added that progression to his game. And I think he's really, you know, he won, didn't he win Villa's official? I think he won the club's player of the month, didn't he? I think so. Yeah. Um, announced the last a couple of days, uh, thoroughly deserved as far as I'm concerned. And I thought again today was excellent. Like I said, the midfield in the first half left left quite a lot to be desired generally as a unit. Second half, though, I thought he was absolutely integral to our success and to keeping control of the game. Um, so yeah, you know, long may that continue. I, I like the transformation is the improvement is remarkable. Yeah, um, marvelous to remarkable. I don't know if that's something. Maybe it's a title for a future podcast if he keeps these performances up, but. Fair play, Tom. Um, I feel like it'd be really easy to go with Ezri Konza, and I did in the player ratings on the uh, 7,500 Holt website. So I'm going to change it up just for the podcast sake. Of course, it's easy to give it to a center back that scored two goals. Um, you could probably give it to Emmy Martinez just for that one save. He leapt like a salmon to save Harvey Barnes <laughs> or however that little gift goes. I probably just ruined it again. Ruined another <laughs> meme. But anyways, uh, my English accent is fantastic, as you can tell. And mm. um, it, it's really tough. Like there's so many players over the pitch in particular in the second half that you could give it to. Um, but I think I have to go with Nakamba as well. It's just the difference that he's made in terms of the one touch passing, allowing him to release it as quickly as possible. As much as that's something where people go, well, it's a three yard pass. It's a one yard pass. You're just laying it off to someone as they run by you and kind of move the ball on for you. We know he's not a great passer, but we know he can stop the ball dead in its tracks. He can tackle with the best of them and he can really um, cause a opposition attack, a lot of troubles moving forward in the midfield. And the one thing that I, 
appreciated about it so much and he noticed the differences is how tight he sits in front of uh, Kanza and Mings. Mm-hmm. And as much as I appreciate what Douglas Louise does in that position, I just like the brashness kind of of Nakamba. He's not afraid to slide in. And when he does, it's typically well-measured. He will pick out, uh, pick up a yellow card, but again, it's usually worthwhile than stopping something that's probably going to result in potentially a dangerous opportunity for us. That's and the thing, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think just it's the simple things and people look at the goal scorers and of course, McGinn getting the assist and Buendia, um, to be honest, I, I do find it a little funny how they can give a goal to Konza for it touching the shoelace. But anyways, yeah. I guess it touched them. But um, regardless, they robbed, um, they robbed Emi Buendia of probably the only header he is going to score in his life. Literally, I, as, little, soon as, that ball, as soon as that ball went to him, I was just like, oh, you, it just felt like he was going to head it. It was just going to go right in Michael's hands because he's so tiny. But fair play, he, he picked the corner. But anyways, it's unanimous. We're going to go with Nakamba and uh, Tom quickly before we wrap things up of course we're gonna hopefully have a uh, a preview pod up with a Liverpool fan later in the week probably around Thursday but confident going into a week filled with Steven Gerrard back to Anfield um, topic points I guess you could say yeah I mean it's going to be an exercise in blocking out the noise isn't it really and I think one thing I was pleased about was that Gerrard came out um and, you know, sounds like he's just treating it like another game. Like, obviously, it's going to be a special day for him going back. But, like, he doesn't, you know, he knows, right, he's a new manager of Villa. Like, Liverpool's a tough place to go at the, you know, a tough team to face at the best of times without all this, you know, extra baggage. Um, so, I'm just going to be blocking it out. I hope that the team does the same, really. And I think all I'm really hoping for, like, it's Liverpool, right? They're going to get chances. They're going to dominate the ball. It's going to be very difficult to realistically get a result. It's not to say it's impossible, obviously, but it's going to be very difficult. All I want to see is the same what we've seen in recent weeks, like that level of competitiveness, desire, competency. You know, I I feel like hopefully we can be at a point now where touch wood, gone are the days where we're getting blown away four or five nil by teams like this. Like as long as we can be in the game competing, showing the same levels we've shown in recent weeks, then I'll be happy. And who knows, man, it's not against not, it's not. Um, an impossibility that we nick something, uh, but a st- another strong performance would do for me. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, for me, kind of sitting here now, and the one thing I will try to probably avoid is social media this week because it's going to be. I understand it for the media; it, it makes money, it gets attention, clicks, views, whatever. Fair enough. Um, you have to do it to a certain extent, but it's it's going to be very annoying. Um, I know it's probably going to be referenced on the preview pod as well, because it probably has to be. So yeah. we're probably feeding into that. But anyways, I think, like you said, if we stay competitive and we can keep it close, I think that's a bonus in itself. If we nick even a point, I think that's massive one, not only to fit the whole story around it, but I think for our season, putting us on 20 points uh, right before the Christmas break, going into Norwich with a little bit even more confidence because I don't even think the unless we lose like nine nil. I I don't think or it's something crazy and no one shows up. I just I don't think this really hurts confidence at all mm. in my opinion. So I think it's kind of a free hit, a free opportunity to maybe even get something. I I would love us to win this game because one thing it would upset Klopp. Not that I don't like Klopp, but it is funny when he gets annoyed because um, he looks absolutely stunned because he's probably not used to losing too much. But uh, I don't know. It, it just would be a nice thing to see and hopefully we can get a few more of those results that we had last season where 
I'm not saying a 7-2 over Liverpool, but more of those shock results against your traditional top six. And Mm -hmm. as far as I can remember this season, we we haven't had one of those yet. So uh, we beat Leicester. We did that last season, of course, in the first Mm -hmm. leg. So hopefully we can uh, do so going into Anfield um, and uh, just give them a little bit more suffering. But we'll have to wait and see because Mohamed Salah literally runs this league at the moment so. it's, it's ridiculous isn't it like uh I, I just think like okay one or two people just tackle them it, i wish it was that easy but it's literally like watching yeah. the egyptian messi literally with the way that he moves but uh honestly like the way the way that i was seeing it was we, when we had these three games lined up city leicester liverpool there's thing you know people tweeting you know how many how many points would you take from those three games and i yeah. said straight off the bat like i would just if, if we can get three we, I would love to beat Leicester and if we can beat Leicester and then just look competitive in the other two against probably the two best teams in the league, maybe Chelsea, throw that in to two of the three best teams in the league, then that's fine by me. And, you know, we've got the win, the huge win this weekend, you know, huge win. Um, and so if we can just go to Anfield, just be competitive, stay in the game, you never know. But like you say, I think it's going to take something really drastic to have a significant adverse effect on confidence and morale right now. Yeah. Um, you know what? We'll end it this way because I completely forgot that I put this poll up and it was the per- for the purpose of this podcast. So, Tom, really quickly, Aston Villa finishing within the top seven this season. Yes or no? Or top 10, sorry. Top 10. I was going to say top seven. I had an easy <laughs> answer ready for you. Uh, <laughs> top 10. I'm going to go with, yeah. I'm going to go with, I said at the start of the season, I thought we'll be in the 10th, 11th ballpark again, like last season. I think that we will finish this season around about the same points tally as last season, but I think it will get us a bit higher. So I'm going to say yes. I think we'll sneak in 9th or 10th. Fair enough. Well, uh, 289 people voted and said yes. So 88% versus the 12% that said no. I'm going to go yes as well. It's going to be tricky to probably get to the same amount of points unless we keep this upswing. But to be honest, I think we're heading into the new year with a lot more promise. And um, we're definitely going in with a lot more form compared to where we were last season at this point in terms of the form, because it was pretty, pretty dreadful at times at this point that I can remember. Um, But uh, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, like I've said last week and I've said a few weeks before, I think there's no reason why this team can't be to be honest, anywhere between seventh and 10th. I, I think there's that much movement. Other teams are going to drop out. I, I think Spurs still have a lot of work to do. Arsenal are going through a bit of good form, but are hit and miss at times too. Um, West Ham are doing very well, but I wouldn't be shocked if they drop off a bit. And there's going to be other teams that come up too. And who knows? I mean, maybe we don't, and we're just kind of predicting this and hoping for the best and it doesn't happen. But Regardless, I want to see Villa um, even play in, in the Conference League or whatever the hell it's called now because weird European names just uh, they get me going, Tom. That's all I can say. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> that sounds really weird. But anyways, we'll leave it at that, everyone. Thank you very much to Tom for joining me. Thanks to everyone for listening. And of course, keep getting your donations in for Acorns. We'll be running it till the end of the month. So it'll basically end... Um, January 1st, essentially. Maybe I'll push it to. I haven't really decided that yet, but nonetheless, keep getting those in. Of course, it's www.justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash villa. It's literally ingrained into my mind. I've looked at it so much, ladies and gentlemen. But, anyways, we'll leave it there. Don't forget up the villa. We're going up. We're going up. We're going right.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.